This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Today is Thursday, June 25th. And it's a big day around here. It's the release of the 2019 Life-Saving Progress data. I'm John Dunn, and for this episode of the Best Friends Podcast, we are talking about data, which, let's be honest, can be a pretty challenging topic for a podcast. If I just sat here and rattled off numbers, we'd both be falling asleep. But this is a big deal. Thanks to this massive annual data collection effort, we know more about life-saving around the country than ever before, And it's incredibly important, we know this, because we can focus efforts to increase life-saving, the where and the how, to have the most impact. Now, we always want to make sure we're entertaining and informative on the podcast, so to balance all this out, I'll be building on last week's episode and doing more bad impressions. Just kidding. I did chat with a few key people who will speak to key elements of what this is all about, how we got here, what the current data set is telling us, and what it means for you. The big number, the drum roll number, right? The reduction in shelter killing annually? We're going to wait, build a little suspense. We were trying to plan for how to make progress against where we were without knowing where we were and being able to measure, are we doing better? Are we doing worse? It was just like such an immense gap. That's Vicki Kilmer. She is the Director of Business Intelligence and Strategy at Best Friends. She leads a dedicated crew of staff and volunteers who collect an insane amount of information from across the nation. And when I say insane, I am not kidding. The Excel spreadsheet has 611,000 cells containing data. They crunch all of those numbers into what is known as the Life-Saving Progress data set. But as she said, there was a time when... We didn't know much at all, and it was not that long ago. So how did we get here? It was sort of like a perfect storm of a couple different things going on that all ended up with the dots being connected and everyone getting to the table together. There have been attempts over time to create standards for data collection and reporting, but getting everyone working in the same direction just wasn't happening. So how do you create a framework for this? Vicki says her conversation started several years ago with PetSmart Charities. We really, at that point, were like, this can't be a best friends and this can't be a best friends plus PetSmart Charities. This really needs to be across the board, bringing in all of animal welfare to do this together. I'm doing a lot of fast forwarding here and probably putting things out of order, so forgive me, but a separate organization was created, Shelter Animals Count, and the goal was to then create the reporting standard. It was such foundational, important work to get to a reporting standard that was by design trying to strike the balance between simplicity and informative. Like, no offense to any of you, but I don't think it's unfair to say that we can all struggle to agree on things sometimes in our work. So for something like reporting statistics to get everybody on board, it's a hell of a task. But it happened. So from there, it was about getting the word out having shelters commit to submitting their statistics, which also happened fairly quickly. So like now we've got all these groups on board, how do we keep them coming into the platform every month and keeping their data current? Because just being part of it isn't really the goal. It's 
providing your data on an ongoing regular basis. Another fast forward, things are going well. And then in 2016. Julie surprises many of us with her declaration that, hey, we're going to bring the country no kill by 2025. And I was not at that particular conference, but I can tell you like my um, phone was blowing up during that (laughs) presentation because we all knew that there was gonna be a ton of work on the heels of that to figure out what that meant and how we were gonna go about it. So there's this new level of urgency to figure out what was happening and where. What happened in a flurry was a mad data dash to use shelter animals count as the base and try and grab as much incremental data as we could from as many shelters as we could reach out to in literally like a two month Time frame. It was crazy. It was staff. It was volunteers. It was everybody moving at the same time. And it wasn't perfect. The data hunt was on, using every and any source available. If it was online, great. If not, pick up the phone, call and ask, even going to Freedom of Information Act requests if need be. The more data we have, the better we can target resources and save more lives. As we are releasing this week, our 2019 data set, it is representing 92% of intake dogs and cats in the sheltering system in the country. 92%, that's a lot of known data. The other 8%, Vicki and her team have developed methods to extrapolate and fill that 8% gap. Later on, we'll go back to Vicki to talk about what's ahead for the world of data collection. Now, before we jump to the next segment, I wanna make sure we never lose sight of the most important thing in all of this. Going through data is interesting, it's insightful, it's critical, but numbers can sometimes feel like numbers, cold figures on a sheet. But every number, every percentage point, they are lives. Individual, healthy, or treatable animals that are killed when alternatives exist to save them. Now, next up is Brent Tolner, Senior Director of National Programs. Brent walked me through some of the key facts and figures in the 2019 data set. We last year was, or the year before, 733,000, mm-hmm. which was, you know, if we go way back, it's a reduction of uh, four carry the one a lot since 1980. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I'm not good at math, but yeah, 17 million in 1984. So incredible progress in the last year, 733,000. Where are we now? 625,000. For the casual observer, it may say, you may say, it's 100,000. That's not a very big drop. It's 14.7%. So that's a pretty dramatic drop when you look at percentages. Clearly, I think as we get closer to 2025, we're kind of dealing with some of the more challenging animals to place, some of them that are harder to find outcomes. And so I'm actually really pleased with that 14.7%. Well, you should be. I mean, it is a lot of progress. And I said the casual observer, I meant me and I'm bad at math. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so a number of no-kill shelters, that is also a very dramatic rise. I feel like it was not that long ago that we could almost count these communities on one hand. Where are we this year? Uh, number of shelters, no-kill shelters. We are now above 2,000 no-kill shelters. And where was that last year? We, we were up 15% this year. Yeah, the one thing about that as well, which I think we should probably mention, is just the growth and the myths associated with it. I feel like we are still dealing with this, which is it can only happen here, but that's just not what the data shows. Uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, we're looking at 
44% of the nation's shelters, we know for sure, were no-kill last year. So that when you're looking at 44% of the shelters across the country, that's a little bit of everyone. You know, you, we got shelters in the north and shelters in the south and shelters east-west, small towns, big cities. You know, places like Austin, Texas, which we've, has been no-kill for a long time, is a very large city to be no-kill and one of the largest um city shelters still to be no-kill. But at the same time, like we've got small rural communities that are doing it as well. Cats and dogs. Are we still struggling with cats? What's the 2019 uh, numbers there for cats and dogs? The good news is we're still making progress for cats, but dogs are still making progress even faster than cats are. And so now we're at a point where 69% of all the animals that are dying in shelters are cats. Uh, So it's really more than two cats to every dog that is is dying in a shelter and again we're making progress there it's just much more slowly than we are in the with dogs okay so let's go geography geographically let's talk states give me the top five states that are killing the most animals so we've had some changes in that this year since we've been collecting the data texas had been number one uh, in terms of the highest number of animals that were being killed in shelters, that has changed. Uh, California is now number one. Texas is now number two. Both states had a pretty dramatic decrease in the animals that were killed at their shelters, but Texas just had so much uh, of a decrease that it was able to drop to number two. So California is now number one. Texas is number two. Uh, North Carolina is number three. I think that's one that surprises a lot of people when they hear it. And then number four is Florida. And then number five is new for us this year, and it's Louisiana uh, is number five. Uh, Georgia was number five a year ago, saw a 30% reduction and animals killed at their shelters, and so they have nicely dropped out of the the top five uh, due to the success that they've had there. Yeah, it almost sounds cold, or we're bashing people or whatever, but I think it is important that, you know, when we talk about a top five, this isn't David Letterman, where we're, (laughs) you know, we're doing this for a reason, because it allows us to know where the problems are and know where to go. Exactly. You know, it... When you have a finite number of resources, the more you can target them to helping with places with the biggest need, the more success that you're going to have. I mean, that's the whole point of this data exercise in the first place is to be sure we're targeting the resources at the places that need the most help. Yeah. One of the data points I saw is uh, if you go, the top 14 states are responsible for 75% of the animals killed. Those five states that I mentioned, those are 50% of the animals that are dying in the country are just in those five states. And there are lots of states. There's only one state that is no-kill. Delaware. Delaware, known for that and... Joe Biden? Sure. And then... uh, (laughs) Sorry, Delaware. Good good job. Good job. So let's see. Eight eight others, I think, are close. Yeah. So we have eight others that have above a 90% aggregate save rate, but have a shelter that has a gap to get to 90% or more than one shelter that has a gap to 90%. So North Dakota, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Vermont, and Montana all have as a state above a 90% save rate, but we still know that there are animals that are in sh- dying in shelters that aren't to that 90% save rate yet. But in all those cases, it's a fairly small number. So what about COVID? We know that there were definitely some changes that happened, shifts, number of animals in foster intake. Out of that, we know that there have been 
some discussions, some things happening in communities that are changing the way they work, more managed intake, I think, than we've ever seen before around the country. Do we have an idea of how COVID is going to affect this year's numbers, not only during that period, but maybe for the rest of the year and going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always cool when we have the data set and, you know, we start seeing the trends. And I think COVID has disrupted a lot of those trends. But what we've seen over the 16 weeks of COVID, uh, and we're on week 16 of it, which it feels like it's been two years uh, at this point. But what we've seen is even as things have gradually gone back to normal, whatever that ends up looking like, we're still seeing intake track around 20 to 25% less than what it was prior to COVID uh, and prior to a year ago. And what that means is if those animals aren't coming into the shelter, there's no way they can die there. And so we're seeing save rates actually up about four percentage points for the data that we have available to us right now, which is more limited than what our current data set is. So I do think that it's going to have a dramatic impact on that 625,000 killed number. Uh, I think it will have a long-term impact of it going down for 2020. How much will depend on how long this sustains out uh, through the course of the year. But I do think it will help us and it has been helping us in that positive momentum towards 2025. Are you, I mean, just overall, Brent, you know, you're a big picture, you're a big numbers guy. Are you happy where we are this year, this moment in time? You know, when you think back to 2016, which was only four years ago, like it seems like that was 10 years ago too. But when you think back to 2016, no kill by 2025 seemed like such a major stretch goal. And since that time, we've actually cut the gap by 58% just in the past four years. So if we can do that for the same volume of animals in the next four years, we're going to get there. And that's pretty cool. Again, it's a lot of work, a lot of animals still that need to be saved, but um, I'm really pleased with where we are. It feels very attainable right now uh, at the closer we get, which is great. So Brent, I'm sitting here and I have this, I'm not usually a printer guy, Mm -hmm. but I printed this huge thing of all the stats probably my favorite stat in all of this. Are you ready? The smallest no-kill community in the United States. Do you know? I don't, but there are a lot of like really small ones. It is Fulford, Colorado. F-U-L-F-O-R-D. Fulford, Colorado. What's their population? Two. Two? Two. Nice. Two people. Nice. Congratulations, Fulford. I hope they did not have a lot of owner surrenders last year. That, that's actually not, um, you know, the way, because shelters will serve like an entire county area. And so, you know, they'll serve maybe eight or nine communities within the county. They're, it's not unlikely for small towns to end up getting rolled into a, a nice county shelter that's no kill. Um, but that's kind of funny that they're too. What do you think the structure of government is? Um, it's just like you be mayor this year. I did probably. it last. Yes. <laughs> that would be yes. I imagine easy to get ordinances passed, unlike other communities in the United States. Boy, unless you have the Hatfields and McCoys living there, yes. Now I want to know. I'm going to go Google. (laughs) All right, Brent, thanks very much. All right. Thank you, man. Okay, so we have this data set, and we get all of this insight into what's happening, but how do you turn this into information that can inform and increase your life-saving efficacy? We focus our programming where we go, what we do, all based on things like this data set. Mark Peralta is the Senior Director of National Mission Advancement for Best Friends. It is the foundation for all of our programming um, because it's fact-based and because it tells us in true form 
you know, the areas that need the most help, the areas that are successful, and you can use that information to strategize your programs. Now, on this podcast, we've talked about some of the specific programs that Best Friends has developed, such as the Embed and Community Camp programs. On episode 14, we took a look at what's happening in the Florida Panhandle. Best Friends experts on the ground working side-by-side -side with the shelter staff. Definitely a bit of chest pumping here, but these programs work. It's like 3.5 times higher if a shelter's improvement in saving more healthy, treatable animals, 3.5 times higher than the shelters that we have no quote unquote engagement with. So great. So best friends, when are you coming to our town to do exactly what you're doing in the Rio Grande Valley? And if we could be there, we would. But Best Friends or any other organization only has a certain amount of capacity. So this data is as much for you as it is for us. You can use the data just like we did and deploy the programs that are needed in your community. We need to be able to see communities and shelter workers, shelter leaders, to be taking a lot of this stuff on. So if you're waiting for Best Friends to come to your city and save you, that should not be your approach. How we're able to scale the programs that save lives is going to affect the speed at which we can achieve no-kill nationwide. The lion's share of communities and shelters across this nation have the ability to do a lot of this on their own. And we're calling it scaling work, right? To make this kind of work that we're doing with all of these shelters. How do you share it out and help people do this stuff on their own without having to wait for when his best friends, you know, coming to Dayton or when his best friends coming to my town. Now, for those of you saving lives outside of the shelter, maybe you run a rescue organization, another interesting point that Mark brought up was using this data to inform how you can be the most impactful in your community. So say you started a specific breed dog rescue, but it's cats that need the most help in your community. If you have the capacity, let the data guide you. Use data, it tells the truth, it helps guide you in your priorities and don't think you can just look at it once every couple of years. If you're really making progress, your data is gonna drastically change year to year. So stay up to date, make sure you're paying attention to things that are going on in your community and, and find your place in that solution. There are many stories of success over the last year, but one particular standout is the state of Georgia. Five years ago, it was somewhere around 72,000 animals that were losing their lives in Georgia. Carrie Ducote is the senior manager of the Southeast region for Best Friends. 2018 was 42 and 2019 is 29 in Georgia. It's, it's been a really big drop over the last couple of years. There's been a lot of really good things happening here. Lifeline Animal Project, they've been a big part of making Atlanta a model for the nation. They run both the Fulton and DeKalb County shelters. Now, obviously, Georgia does not begin and end with Atlanta, despite what those inside the perimeter might think. Now, that's a very mediocre joke if you know anything about Atlanta. If you don't, just take my word for it. But tackling a whole state, it takes friends. We formed a steering committee of, I think at the time it was about 11 or 12 organizations throughout the state. We really just got to work figuring out who had contacts at which shelters and how we were going to work together on sort of figuring out who needed what and who was able to provide what to just sort of pool our resources. The Georgia Animal Shelter Alliance has been working in different communities and partnering with others to offer assessments. Now that's a detailed look based on data at what's working and what's not, and what needs to happen to save more lives. 
we've sort of um, become famous now. People have learned that if they call us and they get an assessment, then there's a possibility that our commissioners will give them more staff members based on the results of our findings. So that's been, um, that's made us very popular. We get a lot of phone calls about that. When we talk about knowing the data and letting that guide your work, Georgia is a great example. The state has 159 individual counties. That's a lot. Only Texas has more. Other states really focus on one or two huge shelters that might be killing, you know, tens of thousands of animals. But we've got to focus on hundreds of shelters that are killing, you know, two, three hundred animals. So it's kind of a different challenge that we have here in the rural south. A dramatic reduction in shelter killing was seen in Hall County. That's the city of Gainesville, northeast of Atlanta. Hall County was number two in the state in terms of the number of animals that were being killed there. And they just kind of decided that they didn't want to do it anymore and called us and we just kind of brought the cavalry. A look at the data to inform the programs needed and the priority. You know, started a community cat program, started manage intake, got commissioner support, and they've reduced their shelter death by 90%. As you heard Brent say earlier, Georgia has fallen from fifth to sixth in the number of animals killed. 2019 saw almost 13,000 more lives saved than the year before. For Kerry and the Georgia Shelter Alliance, they haven't stopped rolling. Augusta, Georgia, probably most known for being the home of the Masters Golf Tournament, is a top priority. They just got a new director last year who has been meeting with us and talking with us, so I feel really confident that we're going to be able to do really good things there. The power of data sometimes can be best understood when you don't have it. Kerry says that Augusta is surrounded by smaller rural counties that don't offer any animal services. So they theorize that people might be bringing animals into Augusta. Now it's confirming those theories that will help them develop and execute the plans they need to make that community the next success story in the state of Georgia. Okay, so how can you take advantage of this? The Pet Life Saving Dashboard is a comprehensive place where people can go to see how many animals are being saved and how many are sadly still being killed all across America on a national, state, community, and even shelter level. That's Holly Sizemore, Chief Mission Officer of Best Friends. The dashboard became the next step. We used the data for our work, but it became clear there was another hugely important role the data could play. I was at the International City Managers Association Conference, and I was manning our booth. And the ICMA, as it's called, it brings a lot of city managers, assistant city managers, you know, real, local government staffers to this conference. Now, as officials from local governments across the country stopped by the booth, Holly would say, how is your animal shelter doing? More often than not, she'd be told, we're doing great, or I don't know, we contract that out. As if contracting out then just exempts you from all accountability, right? And I thought, isn't this fascinating? Because some of the ones that said, oh, we're doing great, some of them were doing great, but a lot of them I knew weren't doing great. So that light bulb went off. How great would a dashboard be? That a policymaker, that a rescue group, that a member of the general public can all see and see not only where you're at with how many animals are being saved, how many are sadly still being killed, but also what progress you've made. It's been game changing. Now, just in the same way Best Friends uses this data to inform decisions, the dashboard allows you to do the same. It's sitting down with you and your key partners and going, okay. How can we do better? What animals are still dying in, in our shelters? And then figuring out ways to solve for that. And for individuals, knowledge is power. The dashboard gives you the ability to know what is happening where you live 
and that can help start the process of calling for change. When we originally launched this dashboard a year ago, some of our shelter partners were really nervous that people were going to weaponize this information, that transparency would create more hardship on them. However, what we find is, is that, and we've done testing that proves this, is that if people know your community, your shelter isn't at no kill, but that you want to get there, they're actually more motivated to support you. I hope that shelters will really see that by being transparent, it empowers them to get the kind of support and help they need to reach their goals. So don't be afraid of it. To wrap this up, let's go back to Vicki Kilmer. She and her team ought to be taking one hell of a vacation right now, but they're already looking at new ways data can be captured and applied to the work. One of the conversations happening right now is around the capture of more detailed statistics. Those discussions are happening right now, and a lot of them are around community-based sheltering. I mean, the you know total buzzword of many months now, particularly more so because of what we experienced through COVID. And there's a lot of data in that arena that doesn't, that falls outside of intake and outcomes. So a lot of discussion being had right now, a lot of um, interest from Shelter Animals Count in looking at expanding the data elements that are currently being captured. And there's always the continuing effort of ensuring that the work that's happening is happening in the right places in the right ways. Do we need to shift priorities? And another area that's being explored right now is taking the geographical animal data we have and lay it out on a map. And then overlay that with minority density mapping it is like the same map. While some of this is still in the early stages, Vicki can say that something is very clear. The areas that we are focusing on as our priorities for the go forward based on this data set are absolutely significantly higher in Hispanic population than the U.S. as a whole. And so that's something we need to think about. You know, are we reaching those communities? What does that mean for our outreach? What does that mean for our adoption events? What does that mean for, you know, all kinds of things go down the spectrum. So that's the kind of stuff we're starting to look at. And I'm just thrilled that we are. But I think there's a lot more work there to do now that we've sort of seen that overlay and been like, wow, this isn't just the right thing to do. This is like a major business imperative if we're really going to go deep in these communities and embrace these communities as areas of focus. It's probably no surprise, but Vicki wants your data. She says you need to go to shelteranimalscount.org, click register in the top right, and each month you'll add your data, which takes about 15 minutes. It is an additional thing to do, but it's an additional thing to do that will help you as the shelter and also get your data in the mix for you to be able to look at comparative shelters like yours, um, because Shelter Animals Count also provides a demographic overlay. So you can look at communities like yours and how are they doing. You can also join the Best Friends Community Data Coalition. There are tons of links and information, all sorts that you need to know from this episode. We'll have all of it up on the Best Friends Podcast website. Go to bestfriends.org slash podcast. Again, that's bestfriends.org slash podcast. We'll have the information about how you can make Vicky's day by getting your data added to the mix. Again, bestfriends.org slash podcast. I'd like to thank the producers of the podcast, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, and Mark Peralta. Please take care of yourselves and each other and be safe. I'm John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.